Hello to everyone. We're thankful for another opportunity to uh, get to study with you. And I'm going to do something maybe a, a little bit different today. So the uh, we kind of run two lines. We run a Sunday school where we are going through the book of Romans. And I record that in the church uh, as I teach Sunday school there. And also we've got a Bible study where we're skipping around different places. Uh, currently we're in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, going through that chapter. Um, but what I would like uh, to do today maybe, and maybe we'll do this every eight or nine weeks or so, is to get an episode of review for the Sunday School. I said last, last time we taught that it's very difficult for me to dig through it verse by verse as we have been, as well as get the whole picture as we move through the book. And I feel that both are very important. Um, certainly, I don't want to dig any less than what we are as we teach verse by verse. But I thought maybe for the podcast we could record a review every 8, 9, 10 weeks, somewhere in there. And just kind of get the big picture of what we've covered thus far in Romans. So we're uh, up to chapter 2. And we got down through, uh, I don't know how closely we've covered, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, right in that area of chapter 2. So we'll just review, and it probably won't be a, a very long episode. But just to review from the beginning of chapter 1 uh, up to where we are and get an idea of the general picture that the Holy Ghost is trying to reveal to us uh, through this scripture in Romans. Really, Romans is a wonderful book. Um, one, of, one of my favorite books of the Bible, really. As far as the picture of the redemption of God and the plan of God in Christ Jesus, we're certainly thankful to be studying it as we are and we hope it's been a help to you but he opens the book as all of Paul's epistles do um, some more some less but remembering that these were epistles and that just means a letter that the apostles wrote as these men there were 12 apostles if you include Paul in that number as these men were establishing the church. Now, there hadn't been a church. You know, when I got saved, I got saved at a church that had been in the area for nearly a hundred years. There were people that had been saved for many years. There were people that had been saved for a, a few years. There were men that God had prepared to teach and, and that had studied and listened to preaching for years and years. They were well-trained in the labor to teach me and help me to grow and understand the doctrines of Christ. There was a pastor there that God had called in place to preach the word to me and that helps us to grow. That, um, that process is there for somebody to come in that doesn't know anything about the Lord, be able to learn what God says, learn the word of God, God to draw them and save them, put them under the wing of the church and allow them to learn and grow and be established and one day be a teacher uh, or a preacher of the gospel, be able to go out into the world and be a witness for him. 
But in this day now, the church is just being started. There's not anyone in the church that's been saved for 20 or 30 years, that's spent a lot of time under the gospel and under teaching of the gospel. This was a relatively new thing. And God knew that. God knew that before the foundation of the world. And He provided 12 apostles giving them the power of the Holy Spirit like really no one else had had, and a wisdom that other people did not have. And he allowed them to establish the churches and care for them, help them to grow, uh, establish men to preach, establish men to teach. And, you know, Paul was a man, and he couldn't be at all of these churches at one time. So when he desired to, he would write a letter to the churches, to the people of God at these locations. And we know, and thankfully so, God preserved these letters. No doubt, when the church at Rome received this letter, it was very precious to them. They made copies of it. They put it up. Maybe they shared it with other churches, uh, however that may be. But God saw fit for copies of these letters to be preserved and not just benefit one local body in Rome, uh, in, in the this day, 60 A.D., but that it would benefit us as well. So Paul begins the letter with a salutation, proclaiming who he is, uh, Paul the writer, and his commission from God to do this work. Now, it's important that we always recognize the commission of men. If a man is not called and commissioned and bore witness by the Spirit of God to preach the gospel, then he's got no place as a pastor of a church or in the pulpit of a church trying to preach the Word of God. Paul announces his commission and God had over and over many times bore witness to his commission as an apostle by the Spirit and by the power of God. So Paul begins with this commission and with the salvation that God had provided to him in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the head of the church of the living God. And when things are not in order as Christ sees fit, then things at the church are not as they ought to be. So Paul's going to begin this letter, and really it is a, 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 a in-depth view of the salvation of God from beginning to end. And he's going to start after his introduction, after he proclaims his love and desire to be with the church, to establish them, to preach the gospel among them. He's going to begin by looking at sin. And you know, sin, that's where... That's where this plan of salvation began in the Garden of Eden. That's one of the very first happenings we see outside of the creation of Almighty God is the fall in the Garden. And it's because of sin that there had to be a Savior. Because of sin, there had to be a sacrifice. Because of sin, God had to provide His Son Jesus that we could be redeemed. But you know, first... God's got to put us where we are. We've got to realize where we are. And I don't say that God has to do that. We are what we are. We are sinners by birth. But God has to bring that to our attention and convince us of that 
by the Word and by the Spirit. So for salvation, that's where God starts in the book of Romans, is with sin. And this section where he's dealing with and revealing sin, it runs from chapter 1, verse 16, really all the way to chapter 3, verse number 20. So quite a long section of the book dealing with sin and the guilt of mankind. But what's got to happen is all of the world must realize their guilt of sin. From the pagan Gentile that knows nothing of the law and nothing of God, to the religious Jew that's sitting in the synagogue day after day learning his word. Now that's the way it was in this day. But in today's world, you could say from the pagans and followers of other religions and people in the world that are unbelievers to the people sitting inside of the church under preaching and teaching, all of the world must realize their sin that they might come to Christ. So the, the realization of sin begins with the gospel, which is God's revelation to man of the truth today. Um, pa Paul says in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 that God at sundry times and diverse manners spoke in the old times, in the old testaments to the prophets. He spoke with visions. He spoke uh, audibly to Moses. He spoke in all of these matters and the prophets carried that word to the people of Israel. And the way that the nation of Israel knew what God was saying was through the spoken word of a prophet who had that revealed to him. Well today, God's not dealing like that with a nation, with a people, with a church. Today, God's speaking through His Son and through His Word. And by the very Word of God we have, those are one and the same. Jesus Christ is the Word that was made flesh, that dwelled among us, that was crucified, and that resurrected and ascended back to God. Jesus is the Word of God. And so God speaks to man through His Word today. We're not having to go and dream something up. We're not having to uh, uh, go up to the top of Mount Sinai and receive a vision. We have God's full revelation from beginning to end in His Word that's opened up and revealed to us by the Holy Spirit of God. God is revealing His plan through the preaching of the gospel to a lost and a dying man. Man's got an opportunity today that through the thousands of years of Old Testament they did not have a revelation like you and I have a revelation today. So this gospel is revealing. And what it's revealing is God, God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's pureness. It's also revealing uh, the judgment of God towards sin and upon those guilty of sin. The gospel reveals, and we've not got that far through the book of Romans yet, but it's revealing man and man's sin and man's guilt and the danger of the judgment of God against man. It's revealing Christ, His righteousness, His per perfect sacrifice, His resurrection, and man's redemption that can be found in Christ Jesus. All of that's made bare, revealed, the cover is taken off of all of those things 
to man. So that man can know today that he's guilty, but that God, through Jesus, has made a way for man to be forgiven. And we could go on and on speaking about the gospel and all that the gospel does and the commission that God's provided for the preaching of the word of God in our day and hour today. But know this, this is the way God began with John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John, but since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached and men are pressed into it. So from John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, all the way till today, and by what I can see in the word of God, all the way till the end, we live in the grace age, under the gospel, and all those that are going to come to Christ for redemption are going to come to him through the gospel, the means that God provided to come. So God's revealing all of this to the gospel. But what about a Gentile world? Now we've got a Gentile world today, just as they did in Paul's day, and know this, it's not a new thing that the Gentile world, that the pagan world, that the uh, uh, unbelieving world would be sinful. The unbelieving world has been sinful from the day that Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and they begin to build cities. And as you look at Cain's lineage from the time he went out onward, it's down, away from God and down into sin. So the pagan world has been wicked from the very beginning. It was no different in Paul's day. It's no different in our day. We've not reached a day of darkness that man cannot be reached or be saved. Paul's going to deal with that on down in this book. But the grace of God is still sufficient and the gospel is still sufficient. But you know, here's Paul. Here's Paul preaching in Corinth. Here's Paul preaching in Ephesus. Here's Paul preaching at Greece. Here's Paul preaching even in Rome. Um, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet man's still in sin. Now here we are today, 2,000 years, plus or minus, from the time of Jesus that the gospel has been preached, and you know, in some eras and in some locations, more than in other eras and in other locations. But yet our world is still wicked and running after sin. So Paul deals with that in the last half of chapter 1. The Gentile world that's had God revealed through the gospel, yet they don't believe, and they've rejected and they reject knowledge, and their desire is that any knowledge of God, and with that is knowledge of sin, would be taken away, and that everything would be okayed by everybody. Even if you don't like it, and you're not going to partake in it, our world would like for you to pat somebody else on the back, and tell them that they're alright, even though they take part in it. And the Gentile world's continual fall into sin. And, you know, this, this fits individuals. It fits nations. It fits communities. And you want to know the explanation? I mean, I've heard many times, and I'm sure anybody that's willing to listen, 
to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard it or thought it, that 30 years ago, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, it would have never been believed that our country would be like it is today. That today we've got flags flying at all of our embassies, all all manner <coughs> of ungodliness supported and upheld and glorified by our country and by its leaders. And that a hundred years ago, people would never have believed the depths that we've fallen. How could it be that we've come this far? Well, right here's the answer. Man's wicked, and man naturally degrades over time. Nations naturally degrade over time. They go away from truth. They go away from honesty. They go away from uprightness, whether you're talking about God or talking about worldly uh, honesty and worldly uprightness. They go away from those things and they fall deeper into corruption, into lies, into robbery, into deceit, into evil, into sin, and into rebellion. And man is continually falling away from God. And he's going to go through a list of sins at the end of chapter 1. And this is how he concludes it that these, knowing the judgment of God, and that they which commit such things are worthy of death, so they've got that knowledge revealed to them, that there's a judgment, that God's going to deal with sin, that sin's not going to slide by, but see the problem is that they've chosen to disbelieve that fact. Because it's not convenient to them, we've chosen not to believe, and we don't think we're going to be accountable, and we don't believe we're going to be found guilty. So because of this, they not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So not only are they partakers in sin, but they're glorifying those that would partake in sin. And now isn't that something, that's exactly the way it is, in our world today, that man comes out as some great sinner and our world pats them on the back, tells them they're brave, tells them they're super, tells them that they're great because they're taking part in sin. But no, <clears throat> people live in that lifestyle. They're in danger of this judgment of God. But man doesn't care. No, we're going to glorify that sin. We're going to honor it. We're going to praise it. We're going to encourage others to take part in it. And we're going to go farther away from God. So that man is like a snowball rolling down a hill, continually heaping up sin until the day of judgment. Man is encouraging man into sin. And it's something that man looks at people that would stand for the gospel and that would warn of the judgment, they would call this hate speech. They would say this is speech that is hateful and wicked towards other people. But the true hate speech, friends, is that that deceives people and that encourages them down a road towards eternal judgment and destruction. So, Paul finishes with the Gentile world. And you know, the nature of uh, the church today, honest, of religious people, of moral people, of uh, uh, self-righteous people,
is as you begin to talk about the world, that they would say, Amen. They would say, God's going to judge that. God's going to destroy that. God's going to bring, and, and you know, I even wish that he would bring judgment upon that quickly and bring a swift end to that. Now, that's the nature of man. And the Holy Ghost knew this, knew this in Paul's day, very well knows it in our day as well, that that's the nature of man. So what's God going to do? He's going to address that. And whosoever you are that judges, this is how he starts chapter 2. So in 1, we've dealt with the Gentile world of sin. Now we're going to begin to look at the sin of the church. Now is the church committing the same evil that the world is? In the eyes of man, no, we're, we're better than the world. We don't take part in all of this open sin that they're uh, taken up in. As a matter of fact, we stand up and say God's going to destroy that. But ignorantly, we're unaware of our sin. And if you'll notice, the most self-righteous and those that think the highest of their own self, they're the quickest ones to judge and cast down somebody else. And so here they are. They're judging. But now remember this. Our world has got a stigma on that word judge. And I realize that Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged. I realize that. And this is what he's talking about here. But this judging that he's talking about, it's not taking the word of God and looking at a lost world and realizing that people are going to be destroyed for the sin that they're committing. That if they do not repent, they're without hope. That's not what he's talking about. He just served half of a chapter in chapter 1 that was speaking of sin and the judgment that was to come. The gospel is revealing sin and the judgment that's to come. That's not what he's talking about. But what he's talking about here is here's a righteous, a moralistic, a church-going, a Bible-believing, and I say that with quotes, person that's looking on a Gentile world that's uh, uh, overcome with sin and they're saying, God, would you destroy these people? God, would you put an end to this sin? And they're unaware that they're guilty their own self. They're calling for God to destroy sinners while they themselves are sinners. But here's the problem. This is what Paul ran into, I believe, by what we see covered in chapter 2 and 3. And it's what we see today as well. Is man does not believe he's a sinner like the Gentile world is. Because he is, in his eyes, somewhat more moral than the Gentile world. He's somehow better off than they are. But God's righteousness that's revealed by the gospel is perfect righteousness. And if the world's going to be destroyed because they're sinners, are not the, the religious and moral people going to be destroyed if they're sinners as well? They certainly are. And Paul's warning that of this. Be sure of this. We're sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. 
God's going to get it down to where it is. And all of those things that man's hidden in his heart, in his mind, those actions that no one else is aware of, God's going to judge those in truth. It's not going to be covered up. We're not going to be able to lie. We're not going to be able to hide our sin. God is going to judge according to truth. Is God going to judge the world? He is going to judge the world. Is God going to judge sin? He is going to judge sin. And people say, Amen, God needs to judge sin. Well, know this, your sin's going to be judged as well. That's what God, Paul, through the Spirit, is revealing to us here in chapter 2. That not only is God going to judge the world, He's going to begin at the house of God as well. Sin is going to be judged according to truth. And as he closes up in verse 6, every man according to his deeds. So this judgment against sin, it's going to come to everybody's house. Is it going to come to Moses' house? It is. It's going to come to ours as well. And so he's going to dig deeper as we go into chapter 2, into the sin of both the Jew the religious, and the moral, and the Gentile. And we'll stop our review right there for the day. And we're, we're really caught up to where we need to be. But um, looking at the big picture, the big picture is all of the world is lumped in sin. And all of the world needs the same salvation. So we hope the Lord's blessed you today. Hope you have wonderful services in the Lord. And we do ask that you'd pray for us. God would help us and use us for His glory. And we'll remember you all as well. We love you.